Surfs, and welcome to Surfs Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I am here today with my co-host, Phil Migliorati. Hello, Phil. Hello, Mark. Looking forward, as always, to our conversation. Uh, this Feel Flows uh, release is just uh, busting the doors off, and uh, can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, we were on a bit of a hiatus, having fun all summer long, but we are back because there is important business to discuss. As Phil mentioned, the new box set Feel Flows, the Sunflower and Surf's Up Sessions 1969 to 1971. This one was long awaited by fans and man, did they scoop it up. It debuted on the Billboard Top Albums chart in the number nine position, alongside the likes of Halsey, Kanye West, Billie Eilish, and Olivia Rodrigo. It's like my kids' music and my music finally commingling. According to Billboard, it sold 10,000 units in its first week, and that's quite something considering how much it costs. And I don't know if this includes all five of the different versions available, but the deluxe edition consists of five CDs. And we have a very special guest with us to help unpack this amazing collection, somebody directly involved with it, and that's Howie Edelson. Howie is a head writer-producer for United Stations Radio Networks, co-founded by Dick Clark, and writer-producer of the weekly nationally syndicated rock radio show, The Classics. He has conducted in-depth interviews with members of The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, The Who, Simon and Garfunkel, and CSN, to name only a few. And he was a producer on the BBC documentary, The Real Beach Boy, Dennis Wilson. Howie served as a consultant to Brother Records on the box set and wrote the liner notes. Welcome, Howie. Hey, guys. What's going on? Howie, thanks uh, for joining us today. We're looking forward to picking your brain and your heart a little bit on what, uh, what this new release is all about. Looking forward to it, guys. Well, I want to start off by this uh, fantastic uh, chart landing for uh, for week one of the box set. How, how does it feel for you to see fans react so enthusiastically to this box set? Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. I think the delay in a lot of ways kind of, even though it was excruciating for everybody uh, to wait this long, I think it helped. It, it, it kind of drove home you know it's time to put your orders in for this thing i think that helped um but i I gotta be honest after sunshine tomorrow did so well and it really did i don't have the exact numbers but it did much much better than expected we kind of knew me and lynette and boyd and um and jerry jerry Schilling, we knew that whatever came next was going to um, be snapped up and be accepted. As it turned out, uh, the next two, you know, I can hear music and, you know, the copyright releases were only digital. And so when that happens like that, where it doesn't have the machine, where it doesn't have the publicity, where it doesn't have the word of mouth, even though I think there was an excellent uh, review in Rolling Stone for the 60. Eight, say it was in the 68 stuff um it, it doesn't have the gravitas it doesn't have the weight of a project it doesn't feel like a project because you're dealing with an audience like all of us we need to hold it in our hands for it to be real you, you know what i'm saying yeah um and so i knew first of all i i knew that this was material that you couldn't deny there's no way you could 
that, that even the casual fan that's going here, and don't forget, guys, these are people, for the most part, that are younger than us, um, that got turned on through Pet Sounds. And then from there, it was the smile box and, and the whole story around that. And then it, it just it just grew into understanding and seeking out what came next. And, you know, this is my favorite era of the band because everybody is operating on all six cylinders. It's, it's phenomenal. I knew that it was going to be well-received. I knew it was going to kick ass and I knew everybody was going to be happy. And, and as it is, all that anybody's shitting on is Seasons in the Sun. So I feel, I feel <laughs> you know, lucky about it. That's the only thing that I'm hearing people, you know, you know, carping about. Well, that's funny. Uh, I actually saw some people online that were saying how much they liked that. Um, and I was playing it, you know, when it became available digitally and I got my hands on that right away. I was on vacation with my family and I played it. My kids are actually very Beach Boys positive. I'm very happy to say that Beach Boys songs are showing up on their playlists. And uh, my daughter heard Seasons in the Sun and her comment was, what is that cringe? <laughs> I always dug it. I always dug it. Either version I did, you know, what it's not my go-to, um, but I, I got to say, you know, Al felt strongly enough that he wanted to do something with it. I mean, it's not like there isn't a pristine bootleg version of the original unreleased track out there. I was kind of, I, I thought it was pretty cool when he was like, I want to crack at this. I, you know, so many bands, they couldn't give a shit. You know what I'm saying? Al Jardine gave a shit. I, I give him credit for it. I really do. You know, that just makes me think. So, of course, Seasons of the Sun by Terry Jacks. The Beach Boys recorded it first. Uh, I don't think they liked it. They thought it was kind of wimpy. And uh, Terry Jacks went, uh, went on to have a number one song with it. You know, it's amazing. Three of the the the... the classic cheesy ballads of the 70s the beach boys had a hand in but none of them were released under the beach boys name and i'm talking about you are so beautiful i write the songs and that one like imagine mm. the beach boys had released all those three songs like what what chart to dominance they could have had in the 70s absolutely i mean and not only that i mean that just shows i mean that that whole sunflower you know, mystique of this many faceted collective, this, this Hydra headed collective, you know, continued through the seventies. I mean, they really could have done a white album, you know, every two years and it would have been fascinating. It really would have, I mean, having a band and it's, it's so weird to call them a band because they're not a band. Like, it's like the Beatles. It's like, well, they're not really a band. They're a group, you know? Is Honey Pie, you know, the same band as Rain, as I Will, as Digabot? It's all different, you know, pieces fitting in to make whatever this thing is at the moment. And that's what the Beach Boys was. And the fact that what, what you just said perfectly sums it up. You know, their rejects or cast off, cast-offs um, define the, the era, define adult contemporary. They're, they're massive. It's an amazing, amazing group. You know? oh, yeah. uh, 
I was uh, thinking of asking you this question, but probably I thought much later in the conversation, but it seems to me that what field flows and some of the others that have come out earlier than this, but what it tells us is their catalog is, I don't know if unparalleled is the right word. You'll, you'll answer this in a second, but certainly in size, uh, certainly in scope, types of songs, genres they, they hit. I don't, is there any other group catalog that comes close to this or am I just being a, no, you know, no, you're, you're not subjective I mean, beach boy fan. I've heard, you know, for, for a lot of acts, I don't want to get into it, but I've heard what's in the vaults and um, it belongs I mean, to Townsend them. Townsend is the only one who has material. And I'm not saying that I've been through all of his vaults and, and know exactly, but he, he's someone who has of this caliber. Okay. Um, stashed away but that's it that's it i mean that they have this quality i mean first of all i think you guys would agree that what was left on the cutting room floor is equal if not better than (laughs) you know what i'm saying than what was released that's number one number two there's just so much of it there's so much of it. I mean, and now we're delving into the next box set, into the Carl and the Passions and, and the Holland era. And there's more. It's not as much, but this stuff is amazing. This is, this is a, a, a phenomenal um, collective. That's the, I hate to keep going back to the word, but that's what it is. And if someone needs to lend a hand with a harmony or a bass line or a keyboard, they do it it's it's amazing stuff i really can't wait till we get into um the you know 75 to 77 era because that's the next real windfall of material where it's a lot um and it's um it's an embarrassment of riches. It's a, it's just, it's cliche after cliche after cliche because, <laughs> and everybody knows now. I mean, I hated it. I hated it being on the board and having to be cryptic and this and that. I hated that everybody didn't have this when I did. I hated feeling like I was lording over it or, or, you know, that I was the only, I hated that because I knew everybody that wanted this was going to go crazy over it. I just knew. So can you um, elaborate on your role as a consultant for Brother Records uh, to do in general or with this project specifically? Well, I mean, this this project had like 19 arms and 17 legs. Um, <laughs> I, I work politically, you know, with the members and Jerry. I have good relationships, strong relationships. That's Jerry Schilling, who is currently the manager, right? Yeah, yeah, the 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 manager of Brother Records. He's not so much the manager of the Beach Boys as you know, doing you know booking dates or anything. You know, there's the the um, licensed touring act, which is licensed by Brother and Brother. He's the he's the manager of Brother, so he's almost like like the Neil Aspinall of Apple. That's how you got to think of it. And, and so, Jerry, I mean, he was their manager back in the 1980s, right? Yeah, but it was a completely like he was on the road with them. It yeah. was an active touring and recording unit. It's it's a different beast now. 
and it's, it's a completely different gig. Um, so I work closely with him. I work closely with um, the band members. Um, and then I work with Boyd and Lynette and help them put this stuff together. And, um, you know, I'm the youngest person there and I'm also in the business. So I have a unique take on what the market will bear. I also have a, a separate relationship with the record company than my work with the band because I deal with Universal and Sony and, you know, you know we in, in a completely different capacity. I do a lot of work with The Who. So I, you know, Universal, I've, I've been a part of that for a long time. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's anything that's thrown at me, I kind of just do. But basically where it's now, it's, it's a lot with uh, Boyd and Lynette. And Lynette is the sound. Lynette is sound. And Boyd is, what's the word? What, what's that word? Is it polymath? <laughs> is that what it is? Where it's, you, you do just, you know, like an inordinate amount of jobs. Um, Boyd is like the, um, the junk draw where it's like, okay, we need blah, 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 go to Boyd. Okay, we don't know how to do the, go to Boyd. Everything gets piled on Boyd, piled on Boyd. Where Boyd needs a staff. Boyd needs six people to, you know, operate because he does so much but he knows so much so it's like where are you gonna go you know if you need to find out this shit well the easiest thing just ask alan you know so um we got to cherish him and we got to protect him because <laughs> he's the heart and soul of the whole thing guys he is it he's the center well, I think for Beach Boy fans who know what's going on, these two and now yourself, but they're they're kind of our heroes. They're they're taking us from the stage decades ago, where you know we we searched the record stores for bootlegs, hoping to hear something. As even if it was barely audible, we would you know be ecstatic about it. I mean, so this is amazing period of time. Are um, Boyd and Lynette working for the uh, record company for brother records uh, how does that work their brother their brother i get I, I mean i guess it's it it's all with budgets and stuff i don't know yeah. the nuts and bolts but it's you know they're always working like lynette is always going and listening and diving and mixing and testing and you know, new techniques in, in stereo separation for mono tracks. It's not like um, he doesn't stop. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. he's full on, he's, he's there, he's in it and, um, and loves the music. You know what I'm saying? It's not like this is a, this is not a gig for us. Like we cash the checks, but it's, you got to, you know, you've got to live and breathe this stuff to, to, you know, make it happen. Can I just uh, spell this out for those who might not know? So we're talking about Alan Boyd, who is in charge of the Brother Records archives. 
and who produced the set and the remixes with Mark Lynette, who engineered, mixed, and mastered it. And I guess uh, we should also give credit to Stephen Desper, who back in the day en- engineered the original recordings. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, Craig Slowinski um, is a huge help, too, because he knows the the sessions like the back of his hand. He knows he's the sessions the, guy. Yeah. I mean, he's phenomenal, too. I mean, he's a genius in his own right. Oh, but yeah. yeah but, but yeah, Desper, I mean, Desper, um, I don't know. I don't know whether I put it in the liners or said it in an interview. I mean, he took a living room and made it sound better than Abbey Road. <laughs> and I mean, he really is. I mean, Brian I Wilson's living room. Brian Wilson's living room. I mean, Sunflower. I mean, that's the best sounding you know what I'm saying? It's better sounding than Abbey Road. And I'm a Beatles guy. I don't, you know, I'm not going to stand on ceremony. It sounds pristine, perfect. And um, he should be revered. He should be in, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, help me out. I'm a visual guy. And, and this may sound like an inane question, but, you know, we hear Alan Boyd and Mark and yourself and others and this one and feel flows and the ones before uh, go into the vaults and get these out. What does that look like? I mean, is there one location where, where all of these things actually, all of these tapes uh, actually exist? Are they in four different cities across America? We, and one more shot here, Howie, before I let you respond. So we listen to uh, one song and maybe an alternate version and, and uh, just the instruments and then the voices, but how many listens of various takes or tapes does it take to get us even that one song? That's really a Lynette question. I mean, Lynette has a ton of tapes um, that he's had backed up. I think everything at this point is completely backed up. Um, but they went back to the masters to, to get that stuff. There's stuff that's in a vault. Um, I can't really talk about where that is. Um, but everything has been brought to Lynette. So Lynette is able to work on it. Boyd is able to work on it. It's, it's not a lugging kind of tape situation. Um, they started digitizing years ago. Uh, as much as they could. I know that now there are a ton of 73 live tapes that they've yet to go through that they're going to be going through um, for what's coming up, you know? Wow. We should uh, break down the contents of this box for people. So, I mean, the foundation obviously are the album Sunflower from 1970 and Surf's Up from 1971, both of which in my mind are among the group's 10 best LPs, certainly a highlight of that era. So we get both of these albums remastered. We get live performances, outtakes, remixes, previously unreleased tracks, session highlights, stack of vocals versions, and, and, and a whole lot of Dennis Wilson solo material. So yeah, a lot to, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what were the high points for you guys? Well, let me start by saying uh, the remastered albums. I remember, you know, when I, when I spoke to Mark Lynette a good decade ago uh, for my book, um, I said to him, you know, Sunflower and Surf's Up sound great, but I have a feeling they don't sound as great as they should. 
and and he said, yes, you're right. And, and, and he said, you know, a remastering's in the works, you know, so I'm glad that, uh, that that has happened for us because I do think they sound better, uh, particularly Sunflower. Like, I mean, th- there's such clarity uh, to, to this new version and the, the voices. I mean, you, you really feel like they're right up at the mic. You, like, you feel like you're right up at the mic with them. You know, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. So that's, uh, that was the first thing that struck me. But of course, there are many other highlights as well. Is that where you started? Did you start with Sunflower and just work? Well, no, no. Of course, I had to get right to the dentist stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, one of the, oh, wow. Well, first of all, the overall experience. uh, If I can steal, if I can quote someone very famous who uh, is with us here, uh, Mark, one finds myself breathless at the emotions the human voice is able to conjure up heaven on earth. Uh, Howie, uh, you know, I'm taking that from your uh, liner notes. And that sums it up for me. Uh, the pristine sound, I mean, the great sound of those albums got even better. Hearing alternate versions, hearing the, the you know, the tracks with just voices. The, it sounded like uh, you could listen to a song as the Beach Boys, or you could hear the orchestral track. I mean, these tracks are much more than drums and guitars, yeah, of course. Totally. And then listening to the voices, for me, that is always a, a spiritual experience. Mark may get yeah. tired of me always going there, but heaven on <laughs> earth is exactly... Uh, it's celestial. It yeah, was. And like it, hearing it stuff, like, you know, getting a Dropbox of vocal-only stuff and, you know, even stuff that you thought you knew backwards and forwards and hearing yeah. this and hearing it, you know, where you know, Lynette's putting a little bit of love onto it, boosting it up a little, little bit of reverb, you know, separating it, putting it in an intelligent way for me to hear. You know, how do you not cry? You know what I'm saying? How do you not listen to stuff and think about everyone and everything that you love? You know, that that's the thing. People forget, Brian did spend some years growing up in a church, and I'm going to turn this into a Sunday school class, I promise, but but I think some of those sounds uh, impacted him. You know, they, they did the Lord's Prayer in 63, whatever year that was. And uh, I, I just, every once in a while, there's a song that I say, let's do that in church. Um, and for me, the uh, vocals of uh, Our Sweet Love was an, another, oh, Lord, my goodness. That's it, this, the sound of that uh, took me, uh, you know, it took me to church on that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was amazed. Um, you know, you might think of, say, Carl and the Passions as, as a somewhat looser affair. And, and, and you guys sort of teased the next box set by putting Marcella at the end, like a vocals only of Marcella at the end here. And I was blown away by it. Like, I mean, yeah. the level of commitment to yeah. these vocals is astonishing. Like whether Brian's with them or not. And, and he wasn't there. I, I don't think for, for Marcella. I mean, it, it's just fantastic. Or you listen to something like San Miguel, like they are really putting in like 110%, you know? Yeah. Well that, that Mike vocal on San Miguel, uh, you know, I've said it before. It, it's, it's a physical thing. It changes the room and to do it. First of all, it's, it's an athletic thing. Their singing was athletic um, because, you know, you have to understand meter, you have to understand timber, time, and you have to mean it. You have to fucking mean it. 
to sing that stuff, to nail those parts. And, you know, not only that, you're dealing with your breath. I mean, what they did, it was magic. There's no, there's no other way to, to, you know, you want to call it God, you want to call it, you know, magic, whatever it is, they were zapped. These guys were zapped by God that they were able to do this Olympiad-like good music consistently for each other. Whatever was going on personally, I mean, you get two people together that have been working together just at a, at a lousy job for 10 years. There's animosity, there's whatever. These guys were living in each other's pockets, you yeah. know, and, and to go, to come off the road, and then to do this, it's, um, it, it, it's astounding, and it can't be overstated how committed these guys were to being the Beach Boys, because, you know, the charts are not their friends. They're playing third-tier markets. You know, the, their era is passing them by. There's no doubt about it. There were true believers uh, all over the country and in Europe, but Europe is a whole other thing. Europe is a whole other thing. When you're an American band and you're bombing in America, that's what you're thinking about. You're thinking everything else, yeah, that's paying my, that's paying my mortgage, but it's a fluke. You know, Scandinavia loves me. It's kind of like, well, cool, but, you know, in, uh, in Trenton, we can only, you know, get 400 people. The fact that they were kind of, you know, ignored their situation, that they were able to compartmentalize whatever hangups they had about their business, about their they're standing and go in and literally go into to these sessions as if they're the Beatles in 66 doing you know, starting off pepper with that much confidence and that much material. You would think, wow, we're losing it. And you would think that these people couldn't write a song because they would be so petrified about writing a hit. Well, luckily, none of these things were hits, and now is the time for them. Now is now there's a generation, a new generation, that's finally hip enough for it. Howie, what a great uh, description. Uh, for me, I lived through that. I'm about to be 73 in a few months, so I, you know, I grew up in real time, so to speak, with these albums coming out. And I was, I'm not bragging, I'm just, but this is what it was. I was one of those true believers who said, this is phenomenal music. This isn't the music of, uh, you know, nothing wrong with it, but all summer long. I mean, these guys are, this is a different band. Uh, and yet no one would pay attention to them. So to be, I'm glad to be alive for a lot of reasons, but one of them is uh, that uh, I get to see this uh, recognition. Well, talk about, but talk about that, because I, I think, you know, people read this in articles and they, you know, it's a, a, a quick blip in a review. And But explain what it was like to be a fan, 71, 72, like before the comeback, before the stage show, before, like those years, those quote unquote lean years, explain what that was like, because there aren't, there, there, there really hasn't been that many 
American institutions, let's say, that have had so many down years so close to their hit years, to their quote unquote peak years. Explain what that was like to be a fan of a band like that. And where did you grow up? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, okay. So they were hitting town. Yeah, um, one of my, you know, I went to their concerts early in the 60s, through the 60s, and um, it went from, you know, the halls being very full with uh, joyous, uh, vocalized fans to uh, late 60s, uh, uh, even maybe it might have been for me, 69, 70, going to a, what used to be a, it was already a rundown movie theater back then. Um, it, you know, it's like, I wouldn't want to go to a concert there, let alone uh, for them to have to play there. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing now that they shouldn't, I shouldn't have been, but what does it matter what I feel? But I mean, I don't think they should have been, they were doing, they never did a lousy show probably, yeah. but um, it, it was, it, it was embarrassing. And, and, and I won't go long here, but it, it was also um, mind blowing in the negative sense. Like what, what, why I, I, I'm not musical. I don't, have ears to hear stuff that no one else does but why can't you why can't you the culture why can't you get this i remember when um bluebirds over the mountain came out as a a single and it was you know it's still in the days of the top 40 it was nearing its end but still in the days of top 40 new beach boys song and as soon as i heard it i loved it but i knew this is going to flop it you know people will not get this and then circling same thing with breakaway and Mm-hmm. the stuff of that time so i won't keep going on here other than to say being you know my age and a lot at this age to it, it's weird the beach boys uh, you know i like a lot of groups and probably like you you're involved with a lot of groups mark as well uh journalists etc um but for me this is almost like my this they're my family and i, I know that sounds corny to, to a lot of people but it's like i am so proud of them mm-hmm. so proud that you could come on and and basically brag on the beach boys of stuff you know, that uh, some of us have known for a long, long time. So thanks for what you've done to bring, maybe maybe even it's just the uh, younger generation into realizing what great, and a lot of it, timeless music it is. Thank you. Well, the, the thing with this, what I thought, um, you know, when, when the Beatles were doing the anthology and they were, McCartney particularly was hung up with having three different versions of, can't buy me love in the marketplace that that in the future people would be confused as to which one they really wanted which one was the one i think it's the the inverse for the beach boys i think now by putting it all out like this in a you know a compendium of the era it 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 kind of takes these borders off that this is 2020 and this is friends and this is like let it all be flowing let it all be this incredible catalog that um that was affected by prejudice it was pure prejudice um and maybe not great you know marketing decisions back in the day you know maybe you know they they needed a better manager before riley let's put it that way um but uh, I think having it all out now and kind of borderless, the way the feel flows is um, only, 
only is going to do them favors because nobody knows this history, really. They know six things about the Beach Boys, and that's good. That's good. They've been mired in the story, which is always tipping towards the negative. If you notice this band, there's no other band where it tips, where the public perception tips towards the low-hanging fruit and the negativity of their lives and their politics and their inner relationships. It's a really strange American thing um, that People magazine that, you know, even Rolling Stone back in the day, a little like it it goes to the issues. And now it's like now you got a book of dynamite music. You know, that's what Feel Flows is. Yeah. Well, and as you say that, I'm thinking uh, again, I'm be corny. uh, You know, met these guys a little bit, not anywhere near Howie like you have. And Mark, you've talked to him, but uh, I'm happy for Brian and Mike and even David and certainly Alan and Bruce and others who are close around them, that they can see the day where people are now focusing on their music. And that goes now to their talent, their skill of songwriting, producing, instrumental, singing, all that, rather than, well, Mike didn't, you know, Mike punched Dennis out or vice versa on the tarmac or um, the low hanging fruit that you talk about. Uh, That'll always be there, but uh, you know, who cares what I like, but I'm concerned about their legacy. And this is helping that. And I think these future um, sets that come out, whatever they are, are only going to add to that. And, and, you know, I worked, I mean, the booklet itself went through a, thousand changes and i sat with them and with some of the band members went word for word how can we improve this how can you and these there was no um negativity against each other it was almost like it felt like they were back being a band together Mm. it was how that it was a really from my dealing with them you know because when i come to them it's dealing with all the stuff we love and so they were able to be and they know me they were able to be loving about this era and remember what they loved about each other i i hate to do the kumbaya thing (laughs) um but they were all remembering little so i mean stuff that wasn't even close to going in the book but stories and stuff how they remembered oh i remember and and it was so endearing to hear them remember like what it was like when they hunkered down and you know were the beach boys like they were remembering wow you know when we all suited up and you know brought the a game you know to bellagio and and they all none of them ever thought this stuff would last to your point um about them being so so kind to one another in the book uh, i was surprised to hear some positive comments from bruce johnston about jack riley and and he also talked about the problems that they had as well yeah i mean but this jack riley man i mean this guy really is um ken sharp you guys know ken right yep yep ken did a um, basically a deathbed interview with um, with Jack, and it's fascinating stuff. 
you know, Ken's the best. And he knew the right things to ask. And he just gave a, 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 uh, he just pulled no punches, phenomenal stuff and definitive. Um, and uh, if I have my druthers, we'll uh, hopefully use that in the, in the next box set extensively because I, I can't get to him. And honestly, I couldn't do any better than Ken. I love Ken. What uh, material on this box set excited you the most? You know, I, I got to say, when I heard that backing vocal, the mic backing vocal to Sam Miguel, hmm. I was like, wow, this is, yeah. this is even next level for them. Um, and, but I mean, it really is the poops, the poops hubba hubba. Um, because <laughs> Dennis, I mean, this stuff, uh, if he... If he had been now, if he, if this artist had come now looking the way he did, you know, what he looked like then, um, I, I mean, how could Uncut, how could Mojo, how could any of these people not fall completely head over heels for him? I mean, he's got ambient, he's got prog, he's got rock, he's an expert balladeer. Yeah. And he's got a voice. Um, it, it, it really is. It's the fact that this stuff was done and left. It was just shelved. And this was a guy who just kept moving forward. And uh, it, it's a shame. It's a shame that Warner Brothers at the time wasn't hip to this. Wasn't saying, wait, we got to put this this out as a solo act that, you know, the same way that the dead were doing, you know, Ace and, you know, Reflections and Garcia and, and, you know, Rolling Thunder, you know, it's a shame that that never happened. And um, I don't know if it would have changed his trajectory, um, but I think it would have spurred on more great music. Sooner. Oh, there's almost an album full of, Dennis Wilson rejects. That's probably too strong a word, but unused. Yeah. Uh, even just in this box set, uh, it just blows my mind. What, you know, all he had was a B side to, uh, well, he had more than that, but you know, initially that B side to, to the, the other single and just underused is the best word I can put for it. There's just so much there that could have been, I don't know, could have been Beach Boy stuff, let alone, uh, or a solo album for him. Well, the public didn't help either. I mean, Slip On Through is actually an A-side and it did nothing. Well, that's true. Yeah, that, that, yeah I was just realizing that as I was talking. You're right. Um, I, I mean, I personally think, although it, I, it wouldn't even have, uh, you know, done anything, but I think if all efforts had been going towards this whole world, um, which is, you know, son of... Wouldn't it be nice? But but so much more. I mean, the thing is, it's like, where do they fit? If you're not insipid enough for bubblegum and you're not tough enough for FM, then you're nowhere. Right. Then you're nowhere. And but now, I mean, I noticed it in the late 90s when the the hipper than thou 
started listening to Carpenter's albums. Remember that whole shtick when everybody yep. started, you know, like stoners started listening to the Carpenters and it was like, well, what is this? What, what, what does this mean? And it wasn't the sticky Paisley underground people. It was, it was musos that were starting to understand that it wasn't quite going to John Denver, but it was like, it was more than kitsch. It wasn't a, a kitsch thing. It was, we're going to, what that wrecking crew sound is, you know, yeah. post partridge family. And I think there are people now that are discovering sunflower in the same vein. Surfs up is a little bit more you're getting into, you know, the Electra Asylum type world. It's more California rock. Whereas, you know, Sunflower is the pinnacle of of sunshine pop it, it just is yeah it's worth noting that uh, i noticed on spotify that by far the most listened to track on sunflower by far is forever by dennis and i mean that was relegated to b-side it's about time was relegated to b-side i think those should have been on the a-side absolutely absolutely and, and guys if forever had been Plastic Ono Band, you know, arranged. Bass, piano, drums, arranged like Imagine with those backing vocals. It would it would have been a hit. It could have happened. Howie, when, when you bring that up, I have to ask you this question and you don't have to answer it. And it's not, you know, Beatles versus Beach Boys. They're, they're both great. But I just have this sense that when all of us have, all of us who've lived even a little bit of real time with them have passed that the the beach boy catalog will if not be equal in its stature maybe even more uh, and i'm not trying to have you put down the beatles i'm just thinking that when you when you don't have to deal with well this is a nice song but it wasn't i get around uh, when you just listen to the soundscapes and that's what feel flows does it gives us the soundscapes of again the orchestra and the choir um I just think that when people are just exposed to the catalog differently, you've hinted at that before in our conversation here today, that it, they just re receive it better. And songs aren't A-sides and B-sides or who did this and who wrote that. It's I, gonna I'm come go down- Making to commentary here and I should let you answer, I'm sorry. The, well, the, because it doesn't have this shared history with its generation, because there's not, uh, everybody in your age bracket that when you say, you know, at my window, they go, at my window. <laughs> yeah. the fact that there is no baggage, that there is no personal history to it, that frees it up for, um, for sync license. So now it can be in movies. Now it can be, first of all, everybody sounds like that now. Anybody who, who, who cares about the records that they make are making records that sound like feel flows. All the hips are about, like I said in, in, in some interview, you know, the, the bands in Silver Lake, the people, they, the people walking around in Silver Lake and in, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, they look like the Beach Boys. And if they're in a band, they sound like the Beach Boys. That's how it is now. Now is the time. 
Now is their time. And all this stuff, if, if, if I'm right, which I hope I am, will end up in TV commercials, in movies. It will get placements. I mean, that's the only way that a catalog survives. Having China Grove played on FM earns no one money and really doesn't do anything. Everybody's numb to it already. But if people went deep into the Doobies catalog, they'd be like, whoa, there's a whole other bunch of shit we can use in our lives. Well, now the Beach Boys have been freed up. Now with Iconic coming in and Universal giving a, you know, giving it the, the respect it deserves. It's this perfect storm. Um, now this music is going to be placed in movies, in TV, where more people are going to get to it than, than they would on the radio. You know, people, when they talk about, you know, I, I talked to one minor rock artist who was saying, do you think that, I was interviewing them for their new album. They were like, do you think we'll get any classic rock airplay? And I was like, no one gets, nobody's new stuff gets airplay. You know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe on yeah. like a Sunday show, but nobody gets it. Like it doesn't, it's not, it's not like that anymore. Now it's TVs and, and, and movies. And this is perfect. This is perfect because it, you know, these voices, they're a part of the, the saline in your body. You know, the beast was a part of your, your DNA. They're part of your dopamine, whether you know it or not. And hearing this stuff is just just watch just watch it's gonna happen what one thing about your liner notes that blew me away i wanted to mention was to hear mike love talking about his lyrics for sound of free like i'd never heard him talk about that before so that was really uh really interesting uh, to get his insight on that yeah I, I i've talked to him about sound of free about um only with you and Pacifico. Like I've talked about that because um, I think that really would have been a, uh, an important partnership. I really, you know, I had asked uh, in, in the same token, I had, I had asked him like, how come you never wrote with Carl? You're in a van with Carl your whole life. You write songs, he writes songs. How did that never happen? And he said, well, why did McCartney and Harrison never write? And, you know, it's a good question. He's like, sometimes it just, it doesn't happen. But the fact that it did happen between those two, you know, where it's the polar opposites, what people would think were the polar opposites, but they could come together three completely different genres, three completely different types of songs, one's a love song one's a spiritual song and one's an environmental song i mean you take those three songs they are three different bands they are three different acts and they nail it and it is a seamless fit i mean that's just one other you know swatch of colors in this mosaic it's 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 incredible wow. like if this didn't happen you would think I'm crazy for telling you about it. I uh, talked to Mike. I interviewed him for the Toronto star. Uh, this was before the uh, 50th anniversary tour. And he talked to me about this a little bit. And, and I said, a lot of people 
probably don't know that like you and Dennis had this great collaboration together. And he said, you know, there were certainly a lot of tensions, but we both had a lot of respect for each other's talents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking to all of them about this material, um, everybody was just remembering how this one brought this or added this and, and how they appreciated each other during this era. It, it was a really, the, the, everything else was, was away from the, these conversations. And um, I, I hate the word, I hate when people talk about generous and being generosity. I, I just hate it. I think it's such a bullshit showbiz word. But these guys were so generous in talking about what they did together in this three or four year period. Um, and they, um, they were just remembering what it was like when they were really a team, you know, when it was them on the road and maybe, a you know, maybe Daryl or Ron Brown or whatever, like they were, they were sweating it. It wasn't, there wasn't, you know, four keyboardists there wasn't entourages it was uh uh they were united in this thing and 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 you know that's the thing in in 69 you know after the capital thing went kaput um it should have ended anybody else would have sought a solo career sought uh, 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 bruce you know a uh bruce at any point during all of this could have left the beach boys and gotten a label job making easily twice what he was making as a beach boy easily. And he didn't, you know, he said, and I had asked him once I was like, and he, I said, what would have happened if you hadn't joined in 65? He was like, I probably would have become a vice president of Columbia. And I asked him, I was like, well, why didn't you split like 67? Why didn't you split? And he said, because of the music, because I wouldn't have been able to been a part of the music. And that's really it. Like they kept going. I mean, it wasn't like these people were alike, you know, that, you know, half of them were related. How many people at 28, 29 wants to be so closely tied financially, you know, personally, with your kin it's not a natural progression how life is but there was this music it was the music and yeah there was the bread and yeah there was the adulation and everything but it's a lot of schlepping to get that adulation and especially then so there was this thing where it's like they're being brought through the desert to the light they keep going they keep doing it it's um I don't know. I think it's a great story. I think I think the Beach Boys uh, have been given short shrift um, for, like I said, the low hanging fruit. But I think ultimately it's a love story because this thing is about love. It's about goodness. One of the good things that comes to light in this box set, especially in the sessions tracks, is, is how involved Brian is on a lot of it and not necessarily songs that he wrote. And there's a lot of laughter. Like it, it seemed it seemed like a, a happy time a lot of the time for him. Listen, there are two things that I think history is going to unravel in this knot of the story. 
that Brian Wilson was not always sitting in a corner crying. And Dennis Wilson wasn't always a fall down drunk. I think. Mm, thank you. Know, you. It, it, it's very easy to, you know, these broad strokes. It's very easy, you know, the same way Paul was cute and Len was acerbic and, you know, it, it's, it's been very easy for the press and for other, you know, elements. Um, it's, it's, these people are, are multifaceted people. Dennis Wilson was a 20 sided die, you know, like those old games, those, those games that get the dungeons and dragons. They had those, <laughs> those crazy uh, dice. It was like that. So to say he was a drunk or it was like, well, he's also, you know, before he's also Hawaiian sunset. He's also, only with you he's you know there's there's a lot there that makes a life um and brian too you know hearing him happy hearing him talking with murray that whole thing which was so fascinating um i it 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 just really astounded me i wish that there was more um say carl um between the songs working. <clears throat> I wish there was more of Carl between the songs working with the musicians. Um, but that didn't end up, that wasn't recorded. It wasn't like the double fantasy sessions where everything was taped. I mean, tape was money. Um, but there are, I mean, all, uh, um, our sweet love is a perfect example where Al was like, this is too good. We can't, you know, Brian would come down, give the bare bones, do a basic track, maybe come back for backing vocals. But it was like, whoa, there are too many holes. This is too good not to finish. And the thing that I love about this is, you know, Bruce had said, I don't know if it's in the liners or if it was just something he had said during one of our chats that, the multi-tracking process, forget the fact that there were many, so many tracks that, that Brian had endless choice, that it couldn't be a complete, um, like make a decision and there's your track. Brian Wilson, I mean, I wonder how much more productive he would have been if he could have run, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder how much, more productive he could have been if he could have recorded his tracks the way he did a la 65, 66, where it wasn't laying down bass drums and a keyboard and then overdone. Because when that happens, then he's second guessing, then he's getting bored, then he's getting anxious, then he's dealing with his shit and he's got to go away. And then that's when Carl and the others had to complete it. And so having that house there was, was a plus and a minus because he was able to split. He was able to do it whenever he wanted, but he was also able to split more easily. You know what I mean? That's very interesting. Yeah. 
Um, you mentioned uh, Murray. So won't you tell me a couple of versions of that on this uh, on this collection? And interestingly, Brian told you that he thought he wrote this without Murray, although it really seems more like a like a Murray type song. It doesn't seem like a rock and roll song. It doesn't seem like a rock era song. I mean, Absolutely. For, for what it is, it's very good. But uh, I wonder about what is the true history of that collaboration? I, I don't know. I was shocked when he said that because I had just said, I was like, you wrote that with your dad, right? He was like, no, 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 I wrote. And I don't know whether he was, you know, pulling my leg or for, you know, you never know. You never know with Brian. Um, but like Boyd had the greatest observation um, because, you know, those snow tracks, those Murray snow tracks that came out a few, few right. years ago. Breakaway. And he was saying that's how Breakaway was supposed to be. <laughs> You know, it was supposed to be, and that stuff is great. That, I mean, that's like Letterman stuff. You know, there's, you know, with those Joel Whitburn books, you've, you've read them, the top 10 hits, top 40 albums, you know, all that stuff. There hasn't been one about the AC charts. Right. And if you look at the AC charts in 69, 70, 71, it's a really interesting subgenre. It was a it was a radio genre. There were people that were listening to this. There were people that were buying the product. You know, Streisand was huge. Streisand was scoring. <coughs> excuse me. Streisand was scoring huge adult contemporary hits. People were watching with, Lawrence Welk. Exactly. But it was also there were younger people. There were people that were under 30 or at 30 doing. The, I mean, the Letterman were scoring with. Lennon's love, you know, she was scoring uh, AC hits, uh, Streisand. There were people, it's an interesting, and maybe, maybe, I mean, it would have been the death knell for them, but maybe if Sunflower had been marketed a little bit towards that market, maybe something would have happened. Maybe mm -hmm. something would have happened for Sunflower in the AC charts. And radio play, you know, um, what's his name? What's uh, Fred Vale talks yeah. about, you know, pitching um, add some music to top 40 radio. Well, that's not where its home should have been. Obviously, it's not FM. It's not going to be next to Grand Funk. <laughs> I mean, that's just stupid. But I mean, 70 they're already aging out. You, you know what I'm saying? The fact that, you know, that the Beatles were able to hang on um, is a whole other thing. But add some music would have been a massive adult contemporary hit. Forever would have been an adult contemporary hit. It would have gotten covers. You know, the fact that, that Forever never got covers, that there was nobody pitching that publishing angle for any of these songs our sweet love you know nobody was sending our sweet love to sinatra or that ilk to perry como like it, it's it's an interesting fascinating little little chunk of pop music that nobody really thinks about but sunflower despite you know having you know it's about time and got to know the woman is an adult contemporary album yeah, you're absolutely and it, right. And it was, that's where it was blown. 
because it would have been, you know, Warner Brothers would have been like, hey, an album sale is an album sale and airplay is airplay. And who knows what would have happened? You know, it's so easy. It's easier with the Beach Boys than any other band to look back in hindsight and say what should have happened. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like you look back at the Eagles, it's like, well, what should have happened did happen. With the Beatles, it was beyond expectation. The Who, the, it's all the doors. Yeah, he dies. They And then the albums don't sell anymore. But with the Beach Boys, it's like, because they're up there. They're the upper tier. They're the rarefied earth. They're the ones that are putting out the stuff where it's like, my God, this dynamite shit. How are people not, not eating it up? How is Feel Flows? How is Long Promise Road? You know, how is leaving this town not on FM radio every day? How did this happen? Why did this happen? It was too hard to win people over and to accept that, you know, the group was evolving. I guess I, I just I, I it's so hard to understand. And the thing is, that is now, you know, as far as with, with Dennis, Dennis's work and those poops hubba hubba tracks, you know, they've gone through, you know, the rock world, you know, they've gone through the Rodriguez, they've gone through Big Star, they've gone through, you know, name whoever, you know, Tim Buckley, you know, they've gone through whoever um, the, the latest Emmett Rhodes, the latest, the latest genius that never got their due. Like they've run out of them and some of them don't deserve the, the kudos and the accolades that they've gotten. Dennis Wilson is the first one that deserves more that, de- that deserves more than, than can be given him. I mean, a, a major artist of his time and now is his time. I have to say I was I was sad that, you know, a lot of those songs from uh, Poops Hubba Hubba were not finished. I was I was hoping that we'd have more finished songs. But like you say, he just he kept moving forward and didn't didn't always finish stuff. I mean, I've got a friend. We, we I knew that that wasn't finished, but, you know, we do have the uh, the instrumental for it. And, and what's giving me hope is I, I read in an interview, I mean, you've talked about, you know, the next box set and, and uh, Boyd and Lynette have talked about the 72, 73 concert tapes, you know, that were used for the, the concert album at that time. And they were saying that a lot of them were never even listened to. Carl just basically relied on, on you know, a, a handful of shows. So I'm hoping that, you know, someone's going to go through, pour through all these uh, live tapes and maybe we'll get a complete performance of I've Got a Friend. Because, I mean, many of us have heard the bootleg German version in very low quality. But, you know, that's that's an amazing performance, an amazing song. And, and Mike Love introduces it by calling it uh, one of the greatest songs he's ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't be um, covered. You, you know what I'm saying? All it takes is is someone doing the cover of it. They, I mean, it's published. You know, it's a it's a published piece of music. Those lyrics are out there. All it takes is someone to do it. You know, um, wouldn't it be nice to live again? I mean, oh my. that that oh. exists now. I mean. I mean, I would love to get a camera and just go to all of us and film the first time everybody heard it, (laughs) you know, like it was so, 
that that was not that, I mean, that this guy was so contrary to himself that he didn't say, okay, we'll put it on Carl and the Passions. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it astounds me, these decisions and how, um, I mean, I've had conversations with Al talking about songs and he'd be like, really? Really? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he's just like, oh, well, if you say so, I'll go back and listen. And it's just like something that they did once or, you know what I'm saying? And it's like we base our whole deal on this stuff. You know what I'm saying? We live with this. And, um, you know, it's it's just a part of their lives. And, you know, I don't know what to tell you about it. I mean, they're, they're, it's endless how much stuff that that's in it. But it's a good team. I mean, <clears throat> the fans should know that they're really smart, conscientious people. Like, you got me where it's just all soul that's thinking about this stuff that, you know, like, how does this affect the universe? You know, you got Boyd who's, you know, doing everything. You got Lynette who's making it sound, you know, of this earth. And you've got a team that's marketing it finally. And you've got good people at Universal that are like taking notice and like hustling. Like there's elbow grease. There's elbow grease behind the Beach Boys. For the first time, there's elbow grease, there's brains, there's heart, there's soul, and there's money. And there's money behind it. So I, 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 as a fan, which is what I consider myself first, you know, an, uh, I'm really um, excited about the next year, the 60th for sure. There's great stuff coming up that I can't talk about. I wish I could. Um, but like, this is the beginning. Feel Flows is the beginning. For me, the Beach Boys... Yes, they have songs. Of course they do. But they don't have songs as much as they have soundscapes. I mean, mm -hmm. if you guys put out uh, a box set of just snippets of, you know, 40 seconds here, minute and 10 here. You're reading our mind, there. Phil. Okay. I, I'd <laughs> You're ahead. You know, we're, we're <laughs> way ahead of you. <laughs> thank you. Go for yeah. it. We, we want those soundscapes. They, uh, you know, they take us somewhere. And uh, for me, it often takes me to church. Like I say, I love it. And it takes us into that endless summer. Wonderful. Thank you. If I could ask each of you, if you had to choose one track to, to play for someone just that really, you know, uh, embodies your excitement about this box set, which would be the track? Let Phil go first. I want to pull uh, it up. So that I don't, I don't well, wow, you know, uh, the simple answer is uh, I'll just start with track one and go through the whole thing. But uh, to be serious, this whole world live, um, that that's a song again, that's a that you said that's the son of uh, wouldn't it be nice to live again or, or wouldn't it be nice? I, it's also the father, I think, of, of love and mercy. Uh, this this whole world, uh, just it, it is like, aren't you glad? It, it just joyous and uh and yet it has a, a message it has that love message so i won't preach anymore this whole world live really uh rocked me i loved it i would put the um i would put the instrumental uh susie cincinnati where they're working the track out where it breaks down that's oh, what cool. i would put very cool I, I love that choice and phil and i have talked about this i think that's a great song i'm glad it seems to be you know 
getting some attention here because that's uh, that's kind of a lost classic Beach Boys track from the seventies, if you ask me. Absolutely, yeah. Underrated, ignored, beautiful. I really liked um, "It's a New Day." I mean, I'd heard yeah. it before, but I love yeah. having a clean version. I think that's a catchy song that that would have been great on Carl and the Passions, maybe. And uh, I think we can hear Dennis singing back up to Blondie on that one, if I'm absolutely. not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that should have been finished and released, I think. Uh, your quotes, the Beach Boys represent our past, our present, our most beautiful key. Loved how you ended that. And then you say, take feel flows wherever you go and keep the Beach Boys close to your heart for your entire life. Uh, that connects me back with your statement earlier that this is about love. And um, I, I think you've helped us see that, but not in the context of just sentimentality, but of reality of who they are, what they did. Uh, this team that now is serving them, an A-plus Hall of Fame team serving this Hall of Fame group, uh, finally, they're going to get their due. And those of us who don't just love their music, but for some crazy reason, love them, um, thank you for what you're helping make happen. You would have done exactly, you know, what, what, I, what I'm doing. And, um, and it killed me that it took so long for everybody to, to get it. But, you know, this stuff was all like it. That's the thing. It's like this all happened. And what we're doing now is just kind of like sprucing it up and figuring out a way to get it to the right, you know, whether it be a, a, a film uh, <clears throat> whether it be a you know a music supervisor on a film or there be a, a book or a, a, however like this can get out and kind of um, generate life for itself it's almost like we're, we're getting the ball rolling so this thing can be this catalog can be kind of self-sustaining that that this, this this music can go on and on and it was dormant for so many years um, because the hits were so big. It really was. It was like because these hits were so tremendous and iconic, it dwarfed everything else. That it took 50, 60 years, you know, wow. for, 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 for the sun to finally hit Aren't You Glad and Time to Get Alone. And, you know, cuddle up. It, 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 it just shows the magnitude of, of how huge and majestic this thing is and was. It was you know. great talking with you guys. I loved it. Thanks so much, Howie. Really appreciate it. Sure. Anytime. Thanks, man. Take Bye. care.